Good morning. You are listening to KPOO San Francisco 89.5 and on the World Wide Web at KPOO.com. This is Prison Focus Radio. Slavery is back. In fact, it was never abolished. The 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution abolished slavery, except in prison. At the current rate of incarceration, by the year 2010, the majority of all African-American men between 18 and 40 will be in prison. The state as their captor. It's going to take people who are willing to fight, not people who want to negotiate with the enemy. Deal with 
All right. Good morning, beautiful people. This is Prison Focus Radio. I am your host, Nube Brown. Prison Focus Radio is a project of California Prison Focus. We are going to continue with our commemoration of the 10th anniversary of the historic California hunger strikes. This is going to be an ongoing education. We aren't here to just remember this amazing show of solidarity that culminated in 30,000 people participating to end the torture of solitary confinement. This is a um, an education about a crisis, um, a, a crime against humanity that is still taking place in California prisons to this day. The uh, a, a core group of men filed a class action lawsuit called the Asker versus Brown uh, class action lawsuit, and they won. They they were able to not only with these men, not only with the uh, the hunger strikes, but with this class action lawsuit, um, uh, foment the release of thousands of prisoners from solitary confinement. Not only that, they brought this issue to the national and international stage. They had international support. They also created the agreement to end hostilities. And the signers of that document, which is one of the most important documents of, I would say, the last 50 or 60 years, Most of them are still in prison. One of them has died. During the hunger strikes, people died. Um, And we are probably going to be hearing from um, one of those family members of um, Christian Lopez in, in this hour, if not the next hour. But understand that this is an ongoing education. These hunger strikes took place between 2011 and 2013. That is very, very recent history, and it is important that we know uh, what went on and what is still going on with these now elders who participated and um, organized this incredibly impactful um, uh, hunger strikes, these three hunger strikes. So we are going to be continuing with this commemoration, which is really an ongoing education. We are going to start with one of the writings uh, from uh, Mutope Duguma, who who, uh, wrote The Call, Hunger Strike to Begin July 1st. This this was written in 2011. It is the first hunger strike. I'm going to be reading from this article that came from the San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspaper. I encourage all of you to um, visit um, also the... uh, California Prison Focus website at www.prisons.org because the writings of all of these men and the conditions that were and continue to take place in, let's say, the abusive conditions and neglectful conditions that continue, that were taking place and continue to take place in our California prisons are all documented in the, um, in the Prison Focus newspaper and the San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspaper. If we did not have the supporters on the outside, if we did not have media and publications that were willing to help get these voices out, help get the information out, 
you probably would never have known what was taking place inside of the, the crime against humanity that was taking place and continues to take place in, in all of our California prisons, but most notably in this case, Pelican Bay State Prison. Here we go. The call. Hunger strike to begin July 1st. Prisoners in the security housing unit SHU at Pelican Bay State Prison are planning to begin an indefinite hunger strike as of July 1st to protest the cruel and inhumane conditions of their imprisonment. This hunger strike has the potential to become the most significant event in California prison reform in the last decade. Public support is crucial. A few months ago, Ohio prisoners won all their demands after a petition with 1,200 signatures was given to officials. Record your support by signing the Pelican Bay petition and ask your friends to sign it too. Of course, this was written on June 3rd of 2011, so that petition is no longer available. All right, by Mutope Duguma, slave name James Crawford. This is a call for all prisoners in security housing units, shoes, administrative ed- segregation, ADSEG, and general population GP, as well as the free oppressed and non-oppressed people to support the indefinite July 1st peaceful hunger strike in protest of the violation of our civil and human rights here at Pelican Bay State Prison Security Housing Unit, PBSP, shoe. Short corridor D1 through D4 and its overflow, D5 through D10. It should be clear to everyone that none of the hunger strike participants want to die, but we are taking this dire action due to our circumstances. The state of California has sentenced us all, have sentenced all of us on indeterminate shoe program to a quote, civil death, merely on the word of a prisoner informer, a snitch. The purpose of the hunger strike is to combat both the psychological and physical torture in ADSEG and the shoe, as well as the justifications used to support treatment of the type that leads to prisoners being subjected to a civil death. Those subjected to indeterminate shoe programs are neglected and deprived of the basic human necessities while withering away in a very isolated and hostile environment. Prison officials have utilized the assassination of prisoners' character by each other as well as the general public in order to justify their inhumane treatment of prisoners. The guards, quote, code of silence allows them the freedom to use everything at their disposal in order to break those prisoners who prison officials and correctional officers, COs, believe cannot be broken. It is this mentality that set in motion the establishing of the short corridor D1 through D4 and its D5 through D10 overflow. This mentality has created the current atmosphere in which COs and prison officials have agreed upon their plan to break indeterminate shoe prisoners. This protracted attack on shoe prisoners cuts across every aspect of the prison's function, food, mail, visiting, medical, yard, hot and cold temperatures, privilege, privileges such as canteen, packages, property, etc., isolation, cell searches, family and friends, and socioculture, economic and political deprivation. This is nothing short of the psychological and physical torture of shoe and ADSEG prisoners. It takes place day in and day out, without a break or rest. The prison's gang intelligent unit was extremely angered at the fact that prisoners who had been held in shoe under inhumane conditions for anywhere from 10 to 40 years, had not been broken. So the gang intelligent unit created the short corridor and, and intensified the pressure of their attacks on the prisoners housed there. The object 
was to use blanket pressure to encourage these prison, these particular isolated prisoners to debrief, i.e. snitch, in order to be released from SHU. The COs and administrative officials are all in agreement and all do their part in depriving prisoners in the short corridor and its overflow of their basic civil and human rights. None of the deliberate attacks are a figment of anyone's imagination. These continuous attacks are carried out against prisoners to a science by all of them. They are deliberate and conscious acts against essentially defenseless prisoners. It is these ongoing attacks that have led the short corridor and overflow shoe prisoners to organize themselves around an indefinite hunger strike in an effort to combat the dehumanizing treatment we prisoners of all races are subjected to on a daily basis. Therefore, on July 1st, 2011, we ask that all prisoners throughout the state of California who have been suffering injustices in general population, administrative segregation, and solitary confinement to join in our peaceful strike to put a stop to the blatant violations of prisoners' civil and human rights. As you know, prison gang investigators have used threats of validation and other means to get prisoners to engage in a protracted war against each other in order to serve their narrow interests. If you cannot participate in the hunger strike, then support it in principle by not eating for the first 24 hours of the strike. I say that those of you who carry yourselves as principled human beings, no matter your housing status, must fight to right this and other egregious wrongs. Although it is, quote, us today, United New Africans, whites, northern and southern Mexicans and others, it will be you all tomorrow. It is in your interest to peacefully support us in this protest today and to be and to beware of agitators, provocateurs and obstructionists, because they are the ones who put 90 percent of us back here because they could not remain principled even within themselves. The following demands are all similar to what is allowed in other supermax prisons, such as federal Florence, Colorado, Ohio, and Indiana state penitentiaries. The claim by CDCR and PBSP that implementing the practices of the federal prison system or that of other states would be a threat to safety and security are exaggerations. This is co-signed by Danny Troxell, Todd Ashker, Sitawa Nantambu Jama'a, um, Arturo Castellanos and George Franco. They, along with the call's author, Mutope Duguma, can be contacted um, by writing to them, of course, at Pelican Bay Shoe, but they are no longer no longer there. And I implore you to um, read the July issue of the San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspaper, and you actually can uh, get the new addresses. Well, they're they, their, their numbers um, are there, but uh, please, if you want to write to them, um, you can see their numbers and their names there alongside the agreement to end hostilities. Um, and if you want to write to them and say hello, that would be fantastic. Okay, here are the hunger strikers' five core demands. Prisoners in the Pelican Bay, uh, excuse me. The reason I didn't continue with um, the address is we wanted to respect that we are commemorating this 10th anniversary. We hope that the, the, uh, the signers of the agreement and hostilities all want to be continually contacted, but um, we did not get their permission. And so 
as always, when we have been asked, when we do present the agreement to end hostilities, that all the names are put there. Obviously, they are no longer in Pelican Bay. They have been scattered throughout the other 35 or 34 prisons in uh, the California's uh, prison industrial slave complex. But again, so uh, their actual addresses are not there, but you can find them through the inmate locator if you so choose. All right. Here are the hunger strikers' five core demands that are in this article. Prisoners in the Pelican Bay State Prison Security Housing Unit D Facility Corridor will begin an indefinite hunger strike on July 1, 2011, in order to draw attention to and to peacefully protest 25 years of torture via the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation's arbitrary, illegal, illegal and progressively more punitive policies and practices as summarized in our formal complaint, which I read last week. So you can get that by going to uh, wherever you get your podcasts, um, which can be read. And you, yes, you can read it at going to www.prisons.org um, and looking for formal complaint or um, go to the Issue, I believe it's number 37, um, the year 2011. PBSP shoe inmates hunger strike protest is to continue indefinitely until the following changes are made. One, individual accountability. This is in response to PBSP's application of group punishment as a means to address individual inmates' rule violations. This includes the administration of abusive pretextual use of safety and concern to justify what are unnecessarily unnecessary punitive acts. This policy has been applied in the context of justifying indefinite shoe status and progressively restricting our programming and privileges, which greatly affects their ability to parole. Number two, abolishing the debriefing policy and modify active-inactive gang status criteria. The debriefing policy is illegal and redundant, as pointed out in the formal complaint on page seven, section... uh, 1V slash A, the active-inactive gang status criteria must be modified in order to comply with state law and applicable CDC rules and regulations, especially C, formal complaint, page 7, um, section uh, 4 slash dash B, as follows. A, cease the use of innocuous association to deny an active status. B, cease the use of informant and debriefer allegations of illegal gang activity to deny inactive status unless such allegations are also supported by factual corroborating evidence, in which case CDCR and PB. SP staff shall and must follow the regulations by issuing a rule violation report and affording the inmate his due process required by law. I'm going to stop here for a second because I again I want to encourage you to continue to educate yourself about what what took place and the ramifications that are still taking place to this day. You can read about this very thing that we are talking about here by going to the San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspaper's website at sfbayview.com and read the July issue, pick up the newspaper, um, and you can uh, read the interview uh, that I did with Paul Red and uh, Ruben Kubwa G2 Williams as well as uh, the booklet that was we published by Setawa Nantambu Jama'a, uh, The Evil Dehumanizing Practice Within the Short Corridor Torture Chamber. And there's a plethora, a cornucopia, an abundance of writings and articles on, in both of these places at 
www.prisons.org and sfbayview.com. Number three, comply with U.S. Commission uh, 2006 recommendations regarding an end to long-term solitary confinement. CDCR shall implement the findings and recommendations of the U.S. Commission on Safety and Abuse in America's Prisons final 2006 report regarding CDCR's SHU facilities as follows. A. End conditions of isolation. This is on page 14 of that um, of those recommendations. Ensure that prisoners in SHU and ADSEG, administrative at segregation, have regular meaningful contact and freedom from extreme physical deprivations that are known to cause lasting harm. It's on page 52 to 57. B, make segregation a last resort. Page 14, create a more productive form of confinement in the areas of allowing inmates in SHU and ADSEG the opportunity to engage in meaningful self-help treatment work education, religious, and other productive activities relating to having a sense of being part of the community. C, end long-term solitary confinement. Release inmates to general prison population who have been warehoused indefinitely in SHU for the last 10 to 40 years and counting. Mind you, this is in 2011. In the SHU for the last 10 to 40 years and counting. D, provide SHU inmates immediate meaningful access to adequate natural sunlight, quality health care and treatment, including the mandate of transferring all PBSP SHU inmates with chronic health care problems to the new Folsom Medical SHU facility. Four, provide adequate food. Cease the practice of denying adequate food, provide wholesome nutritional meals, including special diet meals, and allow inmates to purchase additional vitamin supplements. A, PBSP staff must cease their use of food as a tool to punish you inmates. B, provide a sergeant lieutenant to independently observe the serving of each meal and ensure each tray has the complete issue of food on it. C, feed the inmates whose job it is to serve shoe meals with foods that are separate from the pans of food sent from kitchen or shoe meals. Number five, expand and provide constructive programming and privileges for indefinite SHU status inmates. Examples include expand visiting regarding amount of time and adding one day per week. Allow one photo per year. Allow a weekly phone call. Allow two annual packages per year. Base a 30-pound package on item weight and not packaging and box weight. E, expand canteen and package items allowed. Allow us to have the items in their original packaging. The cost for cosmetics, stationery, and envelopes should not count towards the maximum draw limit. F, allow more TV channels. G, allow TV radio combinations or TV and a small battery operated radio. H, allow hobby craft items, art paper, colored pens, small pieces of colored pencils, watercolors, chalk, etc. I, Allow sweatsuits and watch caps. J, allow wall calendars. K, install pull-up dip bars on shoe yards. L, allow correspondence courses that require proctored exams. For more on, this means that all of these things have not, have been denied, were denied, that these, these are people inside while being tortured by solitary confinement. For more information and ongoing updates about the hunger strike, check the California Prison Focus website at www.prisons.org. And um, 
Okay, and of course they're asking you know to reach out to the coordinators, which um, there uh, that has all changed. All right, we are going to continue with some news that I found, um, and you can find these things on YouTube. I will give you the information here in just one moment. All right, here is just a short piece uh, from BBC News. Uh, in their U.S. and Canada section, hunger strike for 29,000 California inmates in fourth day. They're under the photo, um, a lawsuit has been filed on behalf of prisoners in solitary confinement for more than 10 years. Mind you, we have uh, uh, some of our people, our elders have been, uh, were tortured um, in solitary confinement uh, 40 years and more. A hunger strike by California prisoners has entered its fourth day with 29,000 inmates protesting against lengthy solitary confinement sentences at the state's high security prison. Excuse me one second. The, um, what I just read from Mutope was the very, that was the first hunger strike of three. All of those core demands were unmet, so they ended up having to do three consecutive hunger strikes culminating in this one that BBC is talking about here, uh, which has entered its fourth day with 29,000. Uh, it actually went to 30,000. California's prisons chiefs say the protest is detrimental to their cause. Many of the roughly 3,800 prisoners in solitary confinement have been deemed to have gang ties and some have spent more than a decade in isolation. It is the third hun such hunger strike in California prisons in two years. But the strike that began on Monday when 30,000 inmates refused meals is the largest in the state's history. The number of striking prisoners fell below 29,000 on Wednesday. Uh, subheading, uh, subtitle, Make Their Point. Quote, I don't think it helps anything to do this, Corrections Secretary Jeffrey Beard said on Thursday in his first comments on the strike. Much of what they're asking for is being done. It's just not being done fast enough for them. The hunger strike actually interferes with the process. Oh, my God. These are the kinds of lies and ooh, frustrating commentary um, that uh, uh, they were dealing with at the time. Okay, after the two previous strikes, the Corrections Department began a program to reduce isolation sentences. Hundreds have either already been released from solitary confinement or have been marked for release. But the program was suspended as the strike began on Monday. Mr. Beard told an oversight hearing that corrections authorities would not make concessions to the prisoners. Well, that's, on, that's, that's them being, again, being abusive and acting illegally um, uh, and why it is being called cruel and unusual punishment with the Eighth Amendment of the Constitution. Quote, I think the department has pretty much done what it can do, Mr. Beard told the Associated Press on Thursday. My hope is that they sort of make their point, get the thing over, and we can go back and start doing the reviews. Wow. The strikers supporters say California's program does little to avoid or limit the confinement set sentences. Uh, 22 to 24 hours a day. They, quote, uh, they're asking for a more humane set of conditions that aren't designed to destroy people, said Claude Marx, a spokesman for the Prisoner Hunger Strike Solidarity Coalition. If that's Beard's position that California has nothing else to offer, then that explains why there's an issue. Unquote. In one high security prison near the Oregon border, uh, Pelican Bay, more than 1,000 prisoners remain in solitary confinement. 
About 500 have been in isolation between 20 to 24 hours a day for more than a decade. And these are, when I call for you uh, that are listening and, and, and if you are new, uh, to call the governor at 916-445-2841 to release our elders. These are the elders we are talking about. These uh, men that have been uh, tortured by decades of solitary confinement. Read this again. About 500 have been in isolation between 22 to 24 hours a day for more than a decade with dozens spending more than 20 years in the cells, according to a lawsuit on their behalf. That would be the Asher um, v. Brown class action lawsuit. Three other high security prisons in California have similar programs. According to the Los Angeles Times, those formerly in isolation have been released into the general population either because they no longer qualified for isolation or part of a four-year step-down program, also another abusive, sick program, or had agreed to inform on other prisoners to end the torture. All right, here's a piece of news that I found on a YouTube from Inside Out TV. You can just um, search California. CA prison hunger strike and solitary confinement. United States and the world, there is an emerging movement calling for the end to solitary confinement. Here in the United States, inmates in at least seven California prisons have been on a month-long hunger strike. The largest prison strike in California history, state prison officials call it a plot to relax controls on gang activity. However, the prisoners say harsh conditions like overcrowding, deplorable health conditions, discriminatory treatment of people with illnesses are the cause. Their supporters on the outside agree. Roughly 30,000 people who are incarcerated at Pelican Bay and other prisons across California decided to collectively take action and go on hunger strike, putting their bodies and their lives on the line to try to raise awareness about the plight and the conditions that they faced in the prisons in California. And primarily, there's a lot of complaints about the use of solitary confinement, as well as other brutality and prison abuses that are happening in the California system. So these individuals said that they had reached the end of the line. Basically, there was nothing left for them to do other than to starve themselves, to say, people are not answering our pleas for help. All that we have left, the only control we have left is to refuse to eat, and maybe somebody will pay attention. Scott Paltrowitz is an associate director of the Prison Visiting Project of the Correctional Association of New York, known as CA an independent nonprofit organization which has legislative authority to monitor conditions in New York state prisons and advocates for a more humane and effective justice system. Scott's also a member of the Campaign for Alternatives to Isolated Confinement, known as CAKE. He tells me that while there have been other hunger strikes in California prisons, even on the national front, this one is a phenomenon we had not seen in the past. Thinking about it even outside of the prison context, 30,000 people collectively acting together 
in an act of civil disobedience, completely nonviolent protest. This is an amazing event. I mean, it's a phenomenon in the United States in recent history that we have not seen. And to have it happen behind walls, these are incredibly strong individuals. These are leaders of a movement for change, and we have to take them as leaders and follow their lead. State prison officials don't see it that way. According to Jeffrey Beard, who heads the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation, a few hundred inmates are continuing to take part in a hunger strike in California prisons as of August 6th. Many of those participating in the strikes are under extreme pressure to do so from violent prison gangs, which called the strikes in an attempt to restore their ability to terrorize fellow prisoners, prison staff, and communities throughout California. He writes an op-ed in the LA Times, noting, quote, I'm concerned about the toll this hunger strike is taking on my staff, the inmates and their families. I'm uneasy about what some inmates are telling my staff. Many say they want to resume eating, but are afraid of the retaliation they will suffer at the hands of other inmates acting on orders from their gang leaders. Ann Wiles is one of the lawyers representing the hunger strikers at the Pelican Bay, California prison. I asked her about the concerns raised by Beard and other prison officials. If you look at that Beard um, op-ed in the LA Times, it's, it's trying to change the, reframe the argument, because we're saying is that no matter what these men did as young men, or whatever they did, whether it's correct or true, has been alleged or not, they do not deserve to live in a torturous environment, an environment where they never see the light of day, the moon, the stars, and so they're trying to frame the argument like these people should be punished, these people should be in that hole forever and die there without any contact, you know, any intimate contact with the family members for 20, 30, 40 years, some of our clients have never touched another human being, they've never been allowed to talk or speak. Uh, have any kind of social contact. She tells me that at least 500 prisoners have spent more than a decade in solitary confinement in conditions of environmental and social deprivation. The inmates are demanding for a state adoption of a proposal that caps the isolation term to five years, including rehabilitation and education programs and provides inmates monthly phone call rights. What we're asking for in this litigation and, and on a lot of parallel tracks we're demanding that the men have a way, a process, a procedure to step out of the shoe, no matter what their history is, whether they're alleged gang members or not. And the only way that they would be, be have to stay in the shoe is if in the last five years they committed any violent acts towards another human being, i.e. towards another inmate or towards a staff member, a guard, whatever. And that it, assuming there are some men in, in these shoes of California, that have committed such hideous crimes that they deserve to stay in that in that context. They should be in a yard. They should be in another setting where they actually have social contact with other inmates, where they can receive educational programming, where they can have decent food, they can see the light of day, and the moon and the stars, etc. That if they want to sort of isolate men for various crimes, that they can prove that they have committed that are considered violent. Uh, towards other humans, then they should be provided an environment where they can seriously be rehabilitated and over a period of years come back um, into the main line. Rikers Island is home to New York City's main jail complex. Operated by the New York City's Department of Correction, it has a budget of $860 million a year. 
a staff of 9,000 officers and 1,500 civilians to control an inmate capacity of 14,000. Throughout the years, Rikers Island has gained a reputation as a hotbed of violence due to the actions of both guards and inmates. Rikers, which hosts 10 separate jails, has been the target of dozens of lawsuits and numerous exposés. Yet the East River Island is still running as a dangerous place for an estimated 12,000 or more men, women, and children held there on any given day. Most are pretrial defendants who can't make bail and nonviolent offenders with sentences too short to ship them upstate. Alongside inmate violence, staff brutality, and rape, it has one of the nation's highest rates of solitary confinement. About 12 years ago, five Omar Mu'allamak was arrested on possession of an illegal weapon, tax evasion, and money laundering charges and sent to Rikers Island. Those charges were eventually dropped and changed, but then a few others surfaced, which kept him in the prison system for 11 years, until 2012 when he was declared a free man. I went to prison basically because I got robbed from some crooked cops, you know. Um, I was doing real estate foreclosure under market value uh, properties upstate, um, trying to taking old foreclosure homes, rebuilding them, uh, fixing them up and renting them out to people in the community. So it was somewhat of an adventure for me. It was, you know, uh, progressful. And um, they robbed me for a certain amount of money, but um, the shop steward, the lieutenant, like the entire precinct, ended up being indicted on charges of false charging. And me and about 10 or 15 other people were released and exonerated. But we had to, of course, um, cop out and admit to some charges. So I pleaded out to uh, criminal weapons possession in the fourth degree, and they released me. Um, I was incarcerated for 12 years. I did five years in solitary. A little over 47,000 hours in solitary confinement. Once he arrived at Rikers, a fight erupted and almost immediately landed him in solitary confinement, a place where he would become to know far too well in the years that followed. Certain things are deemed uh, a threat to institutional safety, like having certain books or having too many t-shirts or having too much literature. And these are things that they punish you with solitary confinement. It's the first means of discipline inside the correctional facilities. In New York State, there's a unique brand of torture. They have different ways of doing things. Um, they have single cells, but they also have what they call double selling. Where they have you in a cell, you're in solitary confinement, and they just open the door and throw somebody else in there. Hey, no problem. And it's two of you. So you have one toilet, one sink, and a small confined area, two men or two women just living together, don't know each other, some don't even speak the same language. So it creates an emotional compound. Not only are you going through sensory deprivation and lack of communication with other people, but you're going through that while somebody else is going through that in the same room. So it creates a, an immense amount of conflict. And you never leave that room. There's a little shower box. They hit the button for 10 minutes each or five minutes each and you take a shower in there, but you never leave. You're not allowed to have any exclusions. Like there's no, is no curtains or any type of privacy. So whatever you're doing in front of the stranger, whether it's, you know, uh, using the toilet or the facilities or washing, you know, it's just what it is. So then there's another little door that leads you out about five steps into another cage. It's a cage that's attached to the back of the cell and that's your rep. So you never really leave. To get them to buzz that door, that's... That's a measure on your own. So sometimes you're in there for this amount of timing. And you would think that since you have somebody confined and you finally have them away from the situation that caused them in there, quote unquote, justifiably, even though five, four out of five, every violation for solitary confinement in New York State is for nonviolent offenses, like having too many packs of sugar or having too many pencils. Like I'm an artist. I used to do portraits and that's how I made low money in jail. And um, so I had a huge array of pencils. And I had a ticket for that, you know, and they sent me to the box, you know. So there's a lot of other 
nonviolent reasons why people go to solitary and sometimes they think that solitary is the worst of the worst. Actually, the system that creates these charges is the worst of the worst. Five shared some of his sketches with us. Portraits like these would be a means for him to make some extra money while in prison. So when you're talking about solitary confinement, you're talking about the way that society, it's really an example of how society attributes to social behavior. It's really a way that we respond to problematic behavior within people, to social dilemmas, to, you know, uh, issues of the public. And what we end up doing is our first response is to remove that person, grab them and remove them from society and community and place them inside of incarceration. And that's the same penal punishment, of course, within solitary confinement, because they remove you from the, rem the community that you've been removed from and then place you into solitary. So in order for us to change that, we have to understand that that is the way we respond as a society to problems. When our children act up, we sit up to their room. You know, we try to remove people from the problem situation. And we're not saying that that's not the best method. But what happens is, is that you end up isolating a person. When you care for somebody, you want to know the reasons why they reacted the way they did, why they had the problems they did. Uh, so I don't believe that they need more torture, more punishment. I don't believe putting somebody in a corner and just saying, you'll figure it out yourself will work. You, know, you need more therapy, more treatment. You know, you need to find out the root of the problem. So um, why is this so popular is because it's a reflection and it's an emulation of what we do in society itself. When you call the cops, that person's going to jail. You're removing them from the community and you're taking them and putting them inside incarceration. And that immediately to us makes us feel elated in some sense. So it makes us feel, oh, I'm safe. The problem is gone. But what are you doing? You're taking another human being. You're not really concerned with this person if you're doing that. New York holds people in isolated confinement at rates significantly above the national average. On any given day, there are nearly 4,500 people, disproportionately people of color. That's around 4,500 people in New York State prisons or in special housing units and thousands more subjected to key plock. In New York City jails, including Rikers, there are also around 1,000 people in isolation. All of these individuals are confined in a cell for 22 to 24 hours a day without meaningful human contact, programming, or therapy. This is not the worst of the worst, as some prison officials might claim, or the most dangerous individuals. We actually find that in New York State, five out of the six so-called infractions that result in the use of isolated confinement are for nonviolent conduct. So the most obscene examples are having 51 stamps instead of 50 stamps, or talking back to an officer. There's a, a wide arbitrary system that allows for great discretion for individual officers to basically use isolation and solitary confinement as a punishment or as a mechanism of retaliation against individuals that they dislike or have any kind of interactions with. Many are disproportionately people of color. So already in the prison system in New York State, like most prison systems across the country, black and brown people make up the vast majority of the prison population at a vastly disproportionate rate to their, their numbers in society. And yet, even in isolation, that disproportionality increases even more. So in New York State, for instance, black people represent about 15% of the whole New York State population. New York State prisons, they represent 50%. In isolated confinement, they represent 60%. All right, we are going to hear a bit more from Five Omar Mualamak um, um, out of New York. Um, he is a formerly incarcerated and an activist. The system, of course, I've always been a fighter since I was in the inside. You know, I've always, that's where most of my problems came from because I was an organizer. I started uh, organizations and community groups and teaching, and I believed that the educational system in prison was limited, so I tried to teach other courses 
you know, uh, inside up there in that course of landing me. So always been the way I am. But I came to the campaign and the campaign to the new Jim Crow is what really I felt was the solution. You know, it was a grassroots organization of activists, uh, teachers, organizations, other organizations together, and their principles are really sound, you know. The campaign to end the new Jim Crow also works to reverse what they believe are a new form of inhumane exploitation in the United States, where a prison population of up to two million are working for various industries for pennies. America is financially addicted and hopelessly obsessed with caging bodies and arresting their citizens. And this, of course, they're profiting off of. So it becomes a financial obligation that we have. We have a dependency on prison. Poor farmers sell their products to prisons. Uh, outside agencies, you know, contract out to the prisons. You have storefronts and people that are the entire community. Next, you know, the entire town is dependent on the prison industrial complex. For those who All right, we are going to take a quick musical break and come back with our... Historic California hunger strikers. Um, another piece of news in uh, this is after the hunger strikes. After decades in solitary, they joined forces. Here's what happened. Um, and this is a, a short seven minute clip, uh, but you will be hearing again from uh, the core um, four representatives and others. All right. Here we go with our musical break. Scholars and scientists now concede that Africa is the birthplace of mankind. Africans were the first builders of civilization. They discovered mathematics, invented writing, developed sciences, engineering, medicine, religion, fine arts, and built the Great Pyramids, an architectural achievement which still baffles modern science. The 225th Emperor, Emperor, direct descent from Solomon and the Queen of Sheba, Sheba, Sheba. He the King of Kings, the Lion of Lion of Lion. The name Mahila Sebazi means power of the Trinity. Educate yourselves of Africa to liberate yourself. I'm on trial with the man, she my co-defendant And I demand her attention, keep 
moving. I'm getting closer to the sky every time I hit it. Hadi Selassie, power of the Trinity. So many knives in my vice made in Italy. White man's world that I'm living in, some say. But it was Africa, the continent we all came from. Can't nothing come between me and you. So before I have seeds, gotta understand my roots. Gotta understand the truth. We just all kings round here. Life's not all fair. Words we fall dead. All going hard to I earn like a poor bird. Although my body's in the U.S., my heart's dead. I got my features and my name from her, Mama Africa. The richest place on earth, know just what you're worth. Again, we are going to hear um, uh, from our California hunger strikers. This is a piece from Center for Constitutional Rights, which you can find right on YouTube. If you look up, after decades in solitary, they joined forces. Here's what happened. I'm not talking about screaming like, I'm talking about if you could put every emotion of the human spirit of hopelessness, pain, agony, hatred, 
uh, all these emotions and uh, uh, frustration um, uh, while you're locked in this cage, treated like some animal. Just that was Todd Ashkard, spent 22 years in solitary confinement. This is a baby behavior modification, psychological, uh, low-intensity warfare against the mind of a human being. That's what exists here at Pelican Bay. That was Sitawa Nantambu Jama'a, who spent 30 years in solitary confinement. It's not to the point where you want to commit suicide. But sometimes I'll be at the point that we want to write to judge and say, just give me the death penalty. That was Paul Red, spent 14 years in solitary confinement. He is the only signer of the agreement to end hostilities that has been allowed to come home. Still, we welcome you home. There are approximately 80,000 prisoners held in solitary confinement in jails, prisons, and detention centers in the United States. These prisoners are typically isolated in a cell the size of a parking spot. A UN special report from 2011 states that solitary confinement for as little as 15 days causes irreversible psychological harm and can constantly... I'm not able to um, hear voices to talk to my family. Um, I'm uh, not able to be transferred to be closer to my family or to be transferred to a prison where I'm able to see um, things around me, whether it's trees, grass, birds, other people. Um. That was Jeffrey Franklin, spent 23 years in solitary confinement. I'm not able to go out to a yard and be with other people. Get sunlight. <clears throat> Everything around you becomes numb sometimes. You just, you, 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 you numb up. You try to, you know, close your feelings off where you don't try to feel nothing. You uh, feel like there's no hope. People in solitary confinement at Pelican Bay haven't been allowed to touch another human being in years. People in solitary confinement. Can't, I can't touch my mom. You know, when she comes up, it's a long drive up here. You know, I'm only seeing her once a year for how long? She's already in the 70s. How, you know, how long, you know, is she going to live, you know? That was George Franco, spent 23 years in solitary confinement. I might have had to die here. How do I prepare for that? In 2009, prisoners at Pelican Bay State Prison filed a lawsuit against California to challenge long-term solitary confinement. They organized a statewide hunger strike to draw attention to their situation and asked the Center for Constitutional Rights to act on their behalf. From different races or geographic areas of the state of California, um, we volunteered to become the four main representatives of this short quarter collective. In 2013, more than 30,000 prisoners participated in another 60-day hunger strike believed to be the largest prison strike in history. They their fifth day of a hunger strike and a push to end the long-term solitary confinement, which they call 
that state-sanctioned torture. That was Gabriel Reyes. He spent 23 years in solitary confinement. He was being asked by the lawyer, what do you think this hunger strike is about? The lawyer then asked, how do you think you are not being treated like a human being? Uh, from the deprivation of uh, uh, keeping us from our families and our loved ones, harassing our males, uh, you know, everything, not the severe isolation, lack of stimulation, lack of education opportunities, rehabilitative opportunities, uh, lack of decent food, lack of proper medical uh, treatment, you know, uh, lack of just human dignity. The Center for Constitutional Rights, along with prisoners' rights groups and lawyers in California, partnered with the leaders of the hunger strike on the lawsuit, Ashker v. Governor of Brown, in 2012. The lawsuit argues that conditions at the Pelican Bay shoe where people have spent decades in solitary violate the Constitution's ban on cruel and unusual punishment. Last year, the court certified the case as a class action covering hundreds of prisoners in the Pelican Bay shoe. Less than a year later, the court granted their motion to expand the case to cover people transferred from Pelican Bay to other California shoes. In September 2015, the party settled the case with an agreement that ends indefinite solitary confinement, moves out of the shoe, all those there 10 years or longer end solitary based on gang affiliation, creates a modified general population unit for certain prisoners as a new alternative to solitary confinement. Well, I'm hoping that the conditions change back here in the shoe. I'm hoping, I like to hope that the shoe is shut down. I don't think no human being she have to live in this shoe, especially as long as we have lived in the shoe. Mm -hmm. You know. That's Paul Reed. Ashkervy Governor Brown plaintiffs, the settlement represents a monumental victory for prisoners and an important step toward our goal of ending solitary confinement in California and across the country. California's agreement to abandon indeterminate shoe confinement based on gang affiliation demonstrates the power of unity and collective action. This victory was achieved by the efforts of people in prison, their families and loved ones, lawyers, and outside supporters. The prisoners' human rights movement is awakening the conscience of the nation to recognize that we are fellow human beings, achieving our goal of fundamentally transforming the criminal justice system and stopping the practice of warehousing people in prisons with a protracted struggle. Will be a protracted struggle. We are fully committed to that effort and invite you to join us. Todd Ashker, Satawan Antambo Jama'a, Luis Esquivel, George Franco, Richard Johnson, Paul Red, Gabriel Reyes, George Ruiz, Jamie Troxell. All right, beautiful people, that is our show. I encourage you to continue to join me here every Thursday um, and also um, just um, throughout the rest of the year and continue to educate yourself if you don't know about the California hunger strikes and the men that organized these these historic 
incredibly powerful, impactful um, hunger strikes that ended indefinite solitary confinement. There is so much more to learn. And these are our heroes. These are our political prisoners. These are our loved ones that we want home. Call the governor at 916-445-2841 and uh, demand their release. And also just continue to educate yourself and others uh, invite them as well. People in your circles. All right. Get ready for work week with Steve Seltzer. Peace.